Welcome to Spirit School. I'm your mentor, Danielle Serenk, also known as the Squamish Medium. In this podcast, I share honestly all I have learned about the mediumship and spiritual development journey. My intention is to normalize these conversations, to make way for a more confident, clear, and connected wave of lightworkers, serving the world of spirit with an open and joyful soul. Welcome again to Spirit School. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Spirit School. I am so happy to be here with you today. Today we are doing an episode on Black Historical Mediums. Of course it's February and it's Black History Month, though I do think it would serve us all well to learn about other cultures and their history every month of every year. But just to honor the Black History Month, I wanted to do my second episode on Black Historical Mediums. So if you're interested in my last episode, I believe it's episode 110, and you can listen to the one I did last year where I highlighted four incredible black mediums in history. Now I did about 20 hours of research for today's episode. I have linked all the resources that I reference in the show notes below. So definitely go check out those articles and podcast interviews if you're keen on digging a little bit deeper into any of the stories that I share from this one group and this one incredible human on this episode. Also know that this is not my typical podcast style. I am a podcast riffer. I prefer to just have a download of a thought or inspiration or idea and I put on my mic and I usually just riff. I just speak off of my experience and speak off the stories that are coming to me as I'm speaking. But of course, when I am doing this type of podcast, which is history based, I'm referencing and reading off a lot of the notes that I've created through the research that it might not have the same flow that you are used to when you listen to me on this podcast. I will also say that these type of podcasts are actually my favorite to listen to. If you look at my playlist for podcasts, most of them are history podcasts and they are very much scripted and people reading off of notes. So I find it really funny and fun that I tend to be more of a freestyle riffer, but I'm always attracted to and drawn to the types of podcasts that talk about history, but also do it in a very structured way as well. And by the way, I teach both styles of podcasting in my podcasting course, The Empowered Podcaster. So if you're ever interested in starting your own podcast, go to myspiritschool.com. You can download the workbook. It's this really juicy workbook and three hours of lessons on how to heal your fear or resistances around being heard and seen, formulating your first eight podcast episodes and all the tech you need to know to record, edit and publish. So just a little plug there, but I do teach about the two different styles through that program. And so we'll just kind of see how this goes. Also in my opening, I just want to share like a little bit of my opinions on this because of course, this is my podcast, this is my body of work, and this is a place for me to kind of express my thoughts and opinions and ideas, ruminations. And though those will change as I grow and evolve, I still think that they are worthy of inputting into these episodes. So though spiritualism, right, which is kind of what structured the practice of spirit communication, of mediumship, was birthed through the Fox sisters in upstate New York in 1848. Spiritual connection, aka mediumship, has predated spiritualism and spiritism for centuries. 
we just have to go to all of our cultures and lineages and learn a little bit about this area of our ancestral history and ancestral teaching to find references and stories of spirit communication in all of our cultures. So somebody who is Indigenous mixed with white, so of course I'm First Nations as well as white, I do see and I always have seen the world through an Indigenous lens. I have always been aware of being Indigenous. I have vivid memories going back to grade two of identifying as First Nations. I was very close with my grandmother. I was very close with my dad, who, you know, is my connection to this culture. Though I didn't grow up within my community or culture, I did go through an experience of reconnecting with my culture through the 10 years that I worked in First Nations health and healing. So through that decade of doing that work, I was able to reconnect with my culture. I was able to connect with elders and knowledge keepers and people really ingrained into the society and the culture of Indigenous people and was able to get so much knowledge, so many stories and so many experiences and teachings around spirit talking which is mediumship. And it goes back as long as our oral stories have talked about it. There have always been a family or a person with their lineage assigned to being the shaman or the spirit talker in our communities. So I find it funny looking back at my path and, you know, I did unfold into mediumship in 2013. I had been a couple years into my career in Indigenous health and healing, had just had my daughter. And I remember hearing about spiritualism and the spiritualist church for the first time. And I got so excited and I would talk to Skylar. I would ask my guides. I'm like, oh my God, there's a church for mediums. Like, take me there. Like, take me there. And every single way how my spirit team got the message to me, no. No, you're not going to develop in the church. You're not going to develop in spiritualism. We need you to just continue in this way. And I'll be honest with you, for me personally, this was a big struggle. I fought it. I used to call my friends and be like, pull out your pendulum. Give me yes or no. I didn't say that, but I was just like, give me yes or no. And every single time I would get a no. And my question would be, which they weren't aware of, should I go develop in the church? Because I was developing under this mentor who did have spiritualist mentors herself, but she was actually of a different faith. I can't say it, but Yogananda's faith, um, the Self-Realization Fellowship, which is actually something that my family is really into as well. So what my guides were trying to get me to do was develop in a way outside of the spiritualism and outside of the spiritualist church. And I understand that a little bit more now that I need to kind of be free of some of those structures, though I do love spiritualism and I do love so many mediums that come out of spiritualism. I've also had experiences with it where it's like a little bit clicky, a little bit of like this old boys club, a little bit of like elitism and a, like a whole lot of like comparison and stuff like that were done through people that I met that were like really closely tied to spiritualism in the church. And I'm in no way trying to poo poo on it. But spirit really over these years has sent me down this inquiry of learning about mediumship from my cultural lens as an indigenous person. So through the near decade of work I did at this indigenous health and healing organization, which was like a really big organization, I was lucky enough and able to have the pleasure of sitting with people from my culture. I didn't get to grow up with my culture because of residential schools. And so I felt very, very lucky to be able to sit with elders, sit with knowledge keepers, sit with people who are very ingrained into the culture and learn from them 
about our own history with mediumship, with spirit talking and connecting with our ancestors. And so I feel like the way that I'm able to teach mediumship is very different because I do see things from a multicultural lens. And so just kind of premising this because this does come up a little bit through some of the notes and research I did in, you know, historical black mediumship. And I'm so glad that it did come up through some of the articles that I read. And a lot of the articles I read were like theses, you know, like abstracts, like theses. So really high level above my head for the most part, like scholarly articles on this. And I'm so glad that people kind of talk about this because the birth of spiritualism was not the birth of mediumship, right? Mediumship has been around as long as we've been around some form of, you know, connecting to ancestors and spiritual connection exceeds the Fox sisters in New York. But I do think that spiritualism came at such a pivotal time in society, in our life. And I can't wait to delve into that. And my opinion and my feelings around spiritualism has also grown and evolved through doing this research. And it's let me see it from a different lens because I do like a little bit rebel against structures and institutions. And, you know, I've chosen not to align myself with any one faith in this life or any one religion in this life. And I will say that through the research of this episode in particular, it really helped me see spiritualism as a faith and a religion as such a pivotal role in feminism, in racial equality, in freedom of religious belief. It was a really radical movement back then. And I'm able to see it not so much as, you know, people kind of claiming that it's like the birth of mediumship, but it was actually so needed at the time because of all the oppression that was existing. It was like around the Civil War era. So keep your mind open as we go through, you know, the notes from the research that I did. And, you know, I also invite you to look at your own culture and do some research and go back through your lineage and through the teachings of the culture that you come from and see where spirit communication plays into it and see if you can broaden your understanding of mediumship through a cultural lens as well as a spiritualist lens because the truth is spiritualism did bring mediumship to the public eye and it really did bring it to mainstream if you will and it really did set a level and standards around it that were absolutely definitely needed. So I'm excited to get into this episode. I just wanted to give a little bit of that disclaimer and a little bit of a preamble and a little bit of my opinion on the history of mediumship, but I'm excited. I'm excited to kind of share some of more of my insights as I go through these notes, and I really hope you enjoy this second episode on Black historical mediums. So I have two historical Black mediums. So one is an individual and one is a group to highlight in this episode. And the first one is Sojourner Truth. I also want to say that there is some French references through this podcast episode, and there are going to be things that I don't know how to pronounce. So please just be patient with me and know that I am doing the very best I can. I have tried my best to research correct pronunciations just because I want to really honor and respect all the information that I'm pulling through. So if I do mispronounce something, just give me a pass. (laughs) Forgive me for that. I do apologize. I'm doing my very best. So with Sojourner Truth, she was actually born Isabel, and she was born to slave parents James and Elizabeth Bomfrey 
1979 in Dutch-speaking Ulster County, New York. She was one of 10 to 12 children. Most of her siblings were sold to slavery when Isabel was only an infant. And as a young child, Isabel witnessed both of her parents die, which was caused by severe infection and illness and unforgiving hard labor. Following her parents' death, young Isabel, who was now about nine years old, was auctioned to new owners. New York State had announced the abolition of slavery in 1799, and the emancipation process was slow and gradual and was set to be completed by July 4, 1827. Isabel's slave master, Mr. Dumont, had promised to provide her with free papers in 1826, a year earlier, if she would do well and be faithful. And that's in quotes, if she would do well and be faithful. However, when the time came, he denied her her freedom. And although disappointed and furious, Isabella decided to stay with Mr. Dumont until she had finished spinning 100 pounds of wool. Once she finished her task, she decided to take her freedom into her own hands and managed to escape bondage with her youngest daughter. She later told Mr. Dumont, in quotes, No, I did not run away. I walked away by daylight, and all because you had promised me a year of my time. Isabel soon found out that her five-year-old son was illegally sold to an enslaver in Alabama, and she was determined to get him back. She fought for his custody knowing that she had no experience in the legal system and no power in the court's eyes. Over the next few months, Isabella raised funds, strategized with her lawyers, and held on to her faith. Her victory made Isabella the first black woman to sue a white man in the United States court and win. I mean, can we just take a moment to pause and just like celebrate the badassery that is going on here during this point in time? And I will say that Sojourner Truths, who is Isabella, she's about to change her name in my notes, thinking about this time and thinking about the sheer influence and impact this woman had on this time in history, mediumship and her connection to spiritualism is a mere footnote in what she accomplished in her life. So a lot of this is going to be actually about her life and accomplishments. And it weaves into a little bit of how she did come into the spiritualist faith. But there isn't a whole lot of information on her time in spiritualism that I was able to find. And I did go through like 11 pages of Google. I went to DuckDuckGo. I went to all the different platforms. I went to podcasting and online and wherever I could absolutely find it. Sojourner Truth did so much for women, did so much for black people escaping slavery and really kind of changing the societal structure of the time. There's so much incredible work about her available that I really encourage you to listen to. But I just like wanted to stop and just like pause because I also have a five-year-old son. And when I've been like researching this, and I'm looking at my little boy, like I just can't even imagine the strength, the determination, the inner power that someone has to have to really navigate those times and still be an advocate for yourself, for your people, for your gender, for your family, when everything in society is set out to work against you. So to give you some context on timelines, this was 1843. So the Fox sisters was 1848. So this is still at a time preceding spiritualism. So in 1843, 
Isabella changed her name from Isabella to Sojourner Truth, announcing that she would travel the land preaching truth and working against injustice. During the next several years, she became involved in the anti-slavery movement. Sojourner Truth's extraordinary courage, tireless activism, and faith in truth gave her a powerful voice for anti-slavery and women's rights movements in the United States. Around 1856, Sojourner moved to Harmonica, Michigan, a spiritualist mecca, where she found a village of Quaker-turned-spiritualists, and between 1856 and 1867, Sojourner owned a house next to a seminary where her journey with spiritualism really began. So by this time, Sojourner Truth had been a public speaker, and she had gone through her evolution around spirituality in a faith. And I wanted to read this quote to you from Anne Broad, who is the senior lecturer on American religious history at Harvard Divinity School. I got this quote from a podcast episode I listened to over the past couple days where it's like a two and a half hour podcast episode from this woman, Anne Broad, who talked about spiritualism in, you know, the mid 19th century. So of course, this is during the Civil War. This is during the women's suffrage movement. And she did talk about Sojourner Truth for about a minute, but there's this quote that really kind of hones into how I've been feeling about mediumship and it felt so validating to hear it from somebody who with so many accolades and somebody who has really studied world religion and faith that I think ties in really nicely here. So I quote, African traditions come in through the African-American population. Spirit presence is a point of intersection of American spiritualism and many of the traditions that come with enslaved Africans to the new world. The idea of spirit presence and communication with ancestors is very much part of many, many African traditional practices. Sojourner, we see someone who has African heritage as part of her tradition and is exposed early to Christianity who ultimately became a spiritualist. So what she's kind of saying here is by the time that Sojourner has come into spiritualism, she's already gone through the Catholic faith, parts of Christianity, the Quaker faith, and spiritualism is eventually what she landed on. But what I also love is how They're talking about the belief and the thoughts around connecting with ancestors and to communicate with spirit beyond in America, though I do believe it was here for the first peoples, if people connected in with like the Hopi or, you know, the first peoples of Turtle Island, it would be here as well. But what they're saying is that when we look at, and I'm just going to put this for lack of better terms, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone, I'm just trying my best here to be informative as well as give my opinions on this. But the whole concept of spiritualism really being informed through the undertones of the practices and traditions that came with enslaved people to North America. So in that way, this beautiful reference and recognition of the impact that Black people and African Americans did have on spiritualism, and that is not really talked about or highlighted in so much of what we see online, and that's available. So that quote to me was everything. Hopefully I did it justice through this. So Sojourner Truth would have found great value in the spiritualist philosophy of communication with the supernatural and the promise of a better life in the next world. Truth may have found connections between her own mysticism and communication with the divine and the practices of spiritualists, 
Spiritualistic mediums underwent trance states in which they received messages from source beyond the reality in which most people lived. These messages were usually sought as answers, inspiration, and an aid for questions and problems that represented a rapidly changing world. The bond between spiritualists and antebellum reformers was a close one. Many abolitionists and feminists were involved to one degree or another with spiritualism. Now, also surprising to me, again, people who have studied spiritualism, obviously for much longer than me may know this, but I was surprised to learn that most spiritualists, most working mediums were actually women in the day. I found that to be really interesting because we were coming out of really radical Christianity at the time, a really radical Catholicism, and really spiritualism was kind of like this like free love movement. Men saw women as being more pure. And I learned this through the podcast episode with the woman that I referenced, who's the lecturer at the Harvard School of Divinity. So you can go to that podcast episode if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth and from somebody who can probably express it a lot better than me. It's linked in the show notes. I do recommend that you listen to it. It's fascinating. But what she was saying was, at the time, the only woman who would be on a stage were considered ladies of the night. And I look back to the show Bridgerton, if you saw that on Netflix, and, you know, one of the high to-do sons was in love with one of the theater singers, and she was seen as a prostitute. This is exactly what this teacher was saying, that during that time, to be on a stage speaking as a woman, you were seen as a woman of the night. But women who were mediums and were trans speakers, and Sojourner Truth was one of those trans speakers, were almost given a pass because they weren't claiming that the inspirations that they're speaking are from them. They were saying that they were from higher beings. And oftentimes in trans speaking, you do see things come through that far exceed the mental capacity or education knowledge of the medium. That was part of the evidence back then when even with automatic writing, one of like the check marks of if this was legit or not was were the phrases, were the words, were the thoughts at a higher level of consciousness than the medium it was coming through. And that was just one of the signifiers that it was truth. So in the mid 19th century, when women in particular would go travel to be inspired speakers, trance speakers, which Sojourner Truth was one of them, they almost got a pass from men who ruled society because they weren't claiming that the information that was coming through was actually them. And they also had this really strong belief, and it was more tied probably to Christianity, but that women were more pure than men because of their ignorance, because of their femininity, because of their lack of education and knowledge. So it was actually a really pivotal time in this birth of spiritualism around this time that even women were allowed to be on a stage. And you have to imagine at the time too, a black woman, an African-American to be able to stand on a stage speaking to mostly white men and be heard and respected. Now, at the time, there were stories of people being like tomatoes being thrown at them and stuff because this is how radical this work was at that time. And so this is like the part of the history that I really geeked out on and I might want to do more podcast episodes on because, you know, as somebody, I consider myself to be a social justice warrior, like as an indigenous person, I'm very passionate about clean drinking water, about land back rights. You know, I'm very quiet about it on my social platforms because that's not the intention behind Squamish Medium or Spirit School. 
but reading about this time got me really excited about all the societal changes and mindset and belief systems that were really transformed through this period of time and through the work of people like Sojourner. So going back to my notes here, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Abraham Lincoln's wife was a spiritualist. She would go to seances all the time. And even Abraham Lincoln himself would go to spiritualist seances as well, more or less to find out that his wife wasn't had. And there's actually some really cool pictures online of Abraham Lincoln with Sojourner Truth. So such a cool little piece of history and time. So many reformers were attracted to spiritualism because it combined, and I'm putting in quotes, the push for immediate purification of the nation's morals. Woo, that's loaded. And in quotes, the betterment of societal conditions of humanity. So inspired speakers gave impassioned lectures in a trance state. And this is a quote from somebody talking about how Sojourner addressed her crowd. Her words are like pearls cast from the crown of truth. The world will long remember her when other names are forgotten. So this was a woman, you can find books written about her quotes. You can find um, students giving interpretations of some of her speeches. I am a woman in particular. I'll give a couple quotes at the end of my segment on her. But like this was like the Oprah of the day, okay? Like just this is the Oprah of the day. So her words are like pearls cast from the crown of truth. The world will long remember her when other names are forgotten. She was known to have transfixed her audience with the power of her words. Now, if anyone has been in like a really good demonstration of mediumship, I personally prefer watching inspired speakers and lectures more than even watching demonstrations of mediumship myself. Like that's just where my passion is, obviously. I'm a bit of a lecturer myself. It makes sense that that's what I would be attracted to and drawn to. And keep in mind too, mediumship is not just what you see on TV. Like mediumship is more than just providing evidence that life continues, which is kind of what you see on TV and what you see in traditional readings. Mediumship is also the like sharing of philosophy. So spirit communicators will come through and share philosophy and teachings. It will also bring through healing. So when we look at mediums who've chosen inspirational mediumship over sittings with one providing life, the evidence continues, what comes through them is this healing energy. So when they say transfixed, it's like when they are watching Sojourner Truth channel spirit in her lectures, there is an atmosphere that is created in that room that shifts everyone in that room. No one leaves the same person as they came in. This is the power of inspired speaking. This is something that Spirit brought to my attention last January. And you guys, if you're longtime listeners, you, you've seen my evolution. This is why I love the podcast because since 2018, since a year and a half before I went full time, I have started this podcast and you've been able to see my evolution. And it was last January where I woke up from a dead sleep and Spirit said, inspirational mediumship, inspirational mediumship. And they were really showing me that the evolution of my mediumship is going to be more into this inspired speaking or channeling Spirit's inspirations through channeling and speaking. And I love that Sojourner came up this round for me through this episode because this is exactly what she did. So many of her audiences were white people and her power and presence as an orator helped to change their perceptions of black women. I mean, just think about this time. Like, I don't know if you guys are geeking out as much as I am, but I'm sitting here like I wish I could go back to this time and be part. And maybe I was in some capacity, but what a powerful 
position and dharma to have as your life experiences you have to think around this time that it was not common for women to be on the stage as i mentioned before women who would appear on the stage speaking were considered to be ladies of the night so trans speakers were new for the time and they were not considered breaking the taboo of society women mediums at the time were considered pure men were their managers it was kind of a crazy rabbit hole to go down because feminism and spiritualism, you got to look into the history. I might even do an episode just on that because clearly I'm a woman and a feminist in many ways. So by the time that Sojourner passed, she was nearly half deaf and blind and towards the end of her life. And she never learned to read or write, but her lectures helped change the cultural fabric of the United States. And she passed away in 1883. So I do wish that I could find more about her mediumship per se. But then I started thinking about it. It's like, you know, what did she experience in seances? And she did have such a, she did go to a couple Quaker sermons or whatnot, and she did find it to be very radical. And she was a bit turned off about the energy of it. So I couldn't imagine she would spend too much time in seances because of that. I do believe And somebody correct me if I'm wrong and point me to different resources that say differently. I'm open to being completely educated on this. I welcome it. But I get the sense that her mediumship through her spiritualism was actually in her inspired speaking. And I don't know if this is common teaching, but my first teacher said there are three reasons why we have mediumship. One, healing, right? Two, evidence that life continues. And three, philosophy. And I believe that Sojourner Truth's mediumship was very much through philosophy. Like her inspired speaking and her mediumship trance speaking brought legit cultural fabric changes. And there is a lot of different scholar papers. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know all the lingo in post-secondary. But like I literally dug through 30 page long theses on Sojourner Truth. And they are so amazing to go down. I've linked some of the ones I read in the show notes if you're interested in going down but she was such an incredible figure during this time in history and in this time in spiritualism and I'm so glad to have been able to research her. I'm going to read you a couple quotes from Sojourner and then I'll move on to the next people that I'm going to highlight here. She is such a badass guys okay are you ready? So if the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, referencing Eve, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they is asking to do it. The men better let them. Oh, love her. And then I love this one, guys. Love it. Then that little man in black there says, women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Where did Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. Oh, I'm like, come on. I mean, my crown is tingling just hearing that. So Sojourner Truth, if like you are shining down on us and inspiring us in this incredible work that we are doing in our current day society to bring it right side up again, man, can we use all your inspiration needed. And just so you guys know, I use historical figures of the past in my teachings and in my mediumship. I love Gordon Higginson's teachings. He was an incredible, charismatic, spiritualist teacher, really renowned. His lectures really inspired me in my early years of mediumship, though I don't agree with all the philosophies that he had. I loved his style of teaching. And when I started teaching, I used to say, can you come inspire me? Can you come nearby? 
and like help inspire. And I teach about inspirers a bit. I did it in the Desire Masterclass and I did it in the second month of the Spirit School Collective Journey. So every month there's a new lesson delivered and the second month is Spirit Helpers. And I talk a lot about inspirers and I use inspirers as much as I use any of my guides. And so when I talk to Sojourner and like, you know, I I hope you're looking down and looking at the societal changes, like here we are again, and help inspire people who connect in with your energy and really resonate with your teachings. I do believe that we will be blessed with their inspirations. So I loved it. I hope you loved learning about Sojourner Truth with me. And I'm going to move on to the next group that I'm going to highlight here. Okay, so more of a disclaimer on this group because it is French and even though I'm Canadian and I was forced to learn French for like six years, I don't know French. I've never been great at second languages and so I will be butchering some of these terms. So please forgive me. (laughs) To all my French speaking goddesses out there, Melanie, who's in my community, I'm sorry. Okay, so the next group I'm going to highlight is called Circle Harmonique, which is French for Harmonic Circle. So the Harmonic Circle, if you don't mind, I'm just going to say the English one and you can look at the show notes to the links to the references that I am citing when I am speaking this episode. So the Harmonic Circle was an Afro-Creole spiritualism in New Orleans group of men who speak with spirit. So there were seven men who created this group, the Circle Harmonique. And Afro-Creole, I had to actually research that and look it up. And it is Black people who descended from Spanish cultures in South America. Hopefully I'm getting that right. But definitely look at the links below because it will give you some more information there. It was founded by Henry Louis Ray, who was born in 1831 in New Orleans to a wealthy Crowley family. Ray became actively involved with the spiritualist movement and studied under well-known medium Sister Louise and J.B. Valmore, a medium and healer. In the early 1850s, he formed his own seance circle, Le Circle Harmonique. French for Harmonic Circle, after the Civil War. Henry Ray became actively involved with the spiritualist movement that swept the nation in the early 1850s. At first, Ray was a participant and observer, but soon he became recognized for his talents as a medium. They formed two circles with different regular members that met on Mondays and Fridays, and the members were all men of black descent. Okay, I couldn't get any information personally on any individuals who sat in this circle, but I did find that out. The participants numbered seven, an important number for preserving the circle's harmony. Two primary mediums were Francois Petit Dubelec and Victor Lavigne. The men came from families of African, French, and Spanish origins of affluent families with Catholic backgrounds. So French Crayole seances circles followed the lead of mediums from the north, such as Emma Hardinge Britton, I know I just said that name wrong, and Thomas Lake Harris, and the Banner of Light editors. And if you even look up the Banner of Light editorial, it's quite fascinating. I mentioned it in the last episode on historical black mediums as well. It might even be worth doing an episode just on that. And race circles were a mixture of spiritualism from the North, radicalism from the Caribbean and France, and Andrew Jackson Davidson's harmonial philosophy. So I also need to dig a little bit deeper into harmonial philosophy and harmonism 
because it's like religion based, but it did come up quite a bit in my research, but it wasn't a rabbit hole. I dove in for this episode, but it seems quite fascinating as well. The group was small, but the seance table alone intersected Southern religion, Catholicism, black politics, and alternative religious practices. They built an extensive spiritual, political, and material network around them. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the ritual and practices that they had as part of their container. So some of the spiritual communication, I'm going to butcher this, in the Rene Grandjean registers detailed a specific protocol for conducting the seances. Punctuality was essential because latecomers destroyed the already prepared harmony and seances began at either 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the evening, depending on the season. The change in hours was related to the need for darkness, and the seance room had to be darkened and quiet so that the participants could concentrate, and spirits would have more receptive to conversing with the living. At the appointed hour, the doors were closed, and the previous communications were read. The numerous messages from the sympathetic spirits were in the form of letters that were later transcribed, usually through Henry Ray. The messages were dated and at the end was signed by a spirit or sometimes often more than one spirit. Often the messages were addressed to one of the participants. Margin annotations sometimes gave additional information about the spirits, the medium, and the venue. So of course, if you've seen the documentary on Netflix, Surviving Death, you get to see a little bit of insight into a seance room. You get a little bit of explanation on why they did it in the dark, et cetera, et cetera. You can go check out the documentary if you want a little bit of context to this. But another thing I loved is I've read at least a dozen books from the 1800s about spiritualism and about mediumship and spiritism and spiritualism. I've read all of Alan Kardec's work. In New Zealand, I found some really cool books. And back then... Spirit communication was very Q&A. It was like asking opposing questions to the spirit and receiving answers that were documented. So a lot of spirit communication was channeled, but also through automatic writing. Very fascinating to read. And a lot of it from what I experienced, because again, America was like based off of religious radicalism. And I see that a lot through the birth of spiritualism and also like the societal construct around mediumship because a lot of what mediumship is challenges a lot of what Catholic and Christian beliefs teach, right? So a lot of the books from those days are really kind of like, will God strike down on me because I'm talking to spirit directly? Am I not supposed to be talking directly to God? So you have to think about how challenging this was as a collective mindset of the time. And so a lot of the books from this period of time were really Q&A based based off of challenging Christian ideas. It's kind of fascinating to read. So the circle promoted something they called the idea. And the ideas are in quotes. And I didn't go too deep into this, but what I imagine is how Esther Hicks channels Abraham. So I kind of see the idea as being kind of like Abraham, if you're following me in the comparable here. The idea meant egalitarianism, equality, and brotherhood. It was the central idea that organized the spirit world, and the spirit world was to be a model for the physical one. The spirit world, or spirit republic, was a place of harmony because the idea was its structural base. The problems of the material world, its materialism, greed, and inequality, could be solved if the idea successfully took root in our world. The idea was mentioned through all of the 35 books of records taken during the weekly seances. 
The messages were from very well-known spirits, including Voltaire, Vincent de Paul, Abraham Lincoln, and Confucius, as well as from deceased families of the spiritualist group. Some of the spirits were martyrs who called for change and gave the members hope for political progress. The spiritualists at the Circle Harmonique's table were Afrikaole men, and their race shaped their practices in different ways from white spiritualists in the Northeast U.S. While many spiritualists were abolitionists, their whiteness and white privilege was an ever-present part of their religious practices. American politics and society based their hierarchies in part on racial differences, but the spirits communicating with Circle Harmonique denied the ontology of race. Though many of their spiritualist contemporaries believed that one's race remained with a person in the spiritual fears, so in the afterlife, the messages received by the Circle Harmonique identified a spirit without a race. They identified a spirit world without race. So think about that for a moment. When I communicate with spirit, and I told Skylar one time, because a lot of the time spirit comes to me when I'm in the bath. And I'm like, okay, like, do you see me naked right now? And Skylar one time said to me, I see you as light. That is it. I just see your light. And when you come home, we'll know each other's light and we'll recognize each other's lights. And so this group, and I don't know if they're the first to say this, but I found this to be really kind of cool how modern day belief in spiritualism at the time was very much like, you live white, you die white. You, you live black, you die black. But this was like kind of going against the grain saying, no, like we actually shed the skin and the skin color when we go to the afterlife. So think about how progressive that would have sounded during that time. So they were alone in their belief that bright spirits would replace raced bodies. Oh, this is just so fascinating. I just, I hope you're geeking out with me right now. So the members of Circle Harmony came from Catholic families and Catholicism was a big part of their community identity. During the antebellum period, New Orleans Catholicism could be pretty liberal space. Some priests recommended mesmeric healers, and many priests crossed the color line. Catholic churches were radically integrated, places of education, and some clerics baptized the illegitimate offsprings of interracial parentages, though this was highly discouraged by the hierarchy. These priests were their allies, but New Orleans priests and nuns also owned slaves. During the Civil War, the Archdiocese proved to be a big supporter of the Confederacy. The Circle Harmonique argued that race was an empty signifier. Bodies were merely temporary envelopes that encased the spirit. Spirits mattered, but race bodies shouldn't. This was a strong critique of American racism and white supremacy. So think about how advanced that is. And of course, this is our belief now, how that must have been challenged back in the day. So the Afro-Creole spiritualists sought to dismantle the U.S. racial hierarchy. Construction was marked by political struggles between union supporters and wealthy whites who controlled the state government. During the late 1860s and 1870s, battles erupted on the streets of New Orleans. The members of the Circle Harmonique withdrew and insulated themselves in their homes, and at the end of the resurrection in 1877 put an end to the battle for equal rights as well as the Circle Harmonique. Their last spirit message was dated November 24th, 1877, and it said, We are with you for an eternity. Records of these meetings were documented meticulously through 35 registered books over a 20-year period. Only one of these books survived, and it's kept today in the University of New Orleans, and it was translated by Rene Grangine, 
who is French and Haitian descent, and formed a friendship with Dr. Joseph Logson, who was a history professor of the University of New Orleans, and Rene donated his collection to him. So there are some amazing research papers and books written on this group, and I find it absolutely fascinating. There wasn't a whole lot available on Google per se. Again, when I went on Google, I went to like 11, 12, 13 pages, and I looked at everything that was available. But there are books written on both of these incredible beings and groups. And I highly recommend that if this sparked something in you and you felt really interested in it, that you go check it out. I love about that last one, the Circle Harmonique, how that philosophy stood the test of time. And that's what I love about spiritual philosophy. And that's why I'm obsessed with it is because often what comes through may seem so obvious and simple, but it stands the test of time. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope it encourages you to broaden your horizons on mediumship and the origins of mediumship and even if it's around spiritualism like looking at some of the incredible positive impacts that the birth of spiritualism really brought during a time that in America was such a big pivotal time about the moral structure and fabric of it and I do believe in a lot of ways we're in another moment where our morals as a society and as nations are starting to shift once more. So looking at your legacy, that's one thing that came up for me while doing this research is like, I don't have huge interest in being like famous, but I really do want to leave a legacy of some kind. And if only like a few thousand people touch into that legacy, that is incredible. But it really makes me think more about like, what do I stand for as a professional medium and an inspirational medium and an inspired speaker? And should I use my voice a little bit more about the things that I'm incredibly passionate about, about our society, but also understanding that we are very overwhelmed with people's opinions right now. So I've chosen within my brand, within my company to not be vocal about my beliefs, not be vocal about my opinions on the current day, things that are happening in society, because there's enough people out there doing that. And I do miss the day when what people believed was like a little bit of a mystery. But looking at how Sojourner Truth stood up for feminism, for women's rights, and for the rights of Black people to live free in America, and then looking at the Circle Harmonique, who were born of, you know, I'm putting in air quotes, privilege of the day, but went against societal grades, it would have been easy for them to just cruise as free men, but they decided to sit in circle and gather this philosophy that was really transformational for the time, and we're still talking about them today. So think about your own legacy. What do you want to be remembered for? You know, and I think that we're not so careful about that nowadays when we're sharing so freely our limited beliefs based off of very minimal research or broader insight. And that is going to be part of your legacy. What lives online will live online forever. And is that really what you want to be part of your legacy of what you came here to do? So I know after doing this research, I'm going to be looking a little bit deeper at that. I hope I did justice, if even just a little bit, to this group, the Circle Harmonique, and Sojourner Truth for you. I hope that it sparked some inspirational and interest for you to dig deeper into such topics and looking back at your own culture and where spirit communication and mediumship intersects. I'll see you guys on the next episode.
I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Spirit School. If you did, please leave me a review and a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you do feel called to share this with your friends, thank you for tagging me on Instagram at Squamish Medium so I can also share. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. If you're interested in working with me in my one-on-one mentorship, a reading, or all the various programs that I run, you can go to SquamishMedium.com or check me out on Instagram at Squamish Medium. The link in the bio has everything I am currently working on in service to the world of spirit. Have a great day, guys.